Chapter Three: Ominous Times. There were probably days when I was angry at my older brothers or sisters, or when I was denied things I badly wanted. But all in all, I recall my childhood as mostly pleasant. The fear began when I was ten years old. In 1936, when I was eight. Nazi Germany began to expand, starting with the occupation of the Rhineland. This was also when large-scale institutionalized discrimination against Jews in Germany began. In March 1938, Germany annexed Austria in an event known as the Anschluss, and then took over the Sudetenland area of Czechoslovakia. In the same year, in November, there were the violent pogroms of Kristallnacht, and the two-day wholesale destruction of more than 200 synagogues and Jewish properties in Germany and Austria. Approximately 30,000 German Jews were sent to concentration camps. As all this took place next door to us in Austria and Czechoslovakia. We were frightened by what the prospects were for us Jews in Hungary. Only a young child at the time, it was scary for me to hear how worried my parents were by this news. Then Germany went on to take over the rest of Czechoslovakia in March 1939, and no one stopped them, and my parents agonized even more. During this time, many Austrian and Czech Jews were fleeing to Hungary, and ever so often there were mass arrests of Jewish refugees. Decent members of the Debrecen police force would warn my father when this was going to happen, so that he could inform others in the Jewish community. Some of the sheds our family business used for scrap metal had small attics. And over the next two years, we would hide people in these narrow spaces until the roundups were over. Some people had to hide for several days. At one time, there were seventeen people hidden in our attics. My father was a righteous person. When World War II broke out on September first, nineteen thirty-nine. There was still relative tranquility in Hungary, but political and societal attitudes were changing in frightening ways. Aerocross, Nilos, fascist thugs appeared on our streets. Tens of thousands of Jews were dismissed from jobs, losing their livelihoods, which made life increasingly difficult. The government was becoming more right-wing and introduced a number of anti-Jewish laws and edicts between 1938 and 1941 to appease radical anti-Semitic groups aligning themselves with the Nazis, who were becoming more and more influential in Hungary. One anti-Jewish law restricting what kind of business Jews could engage in required my father to close down his business in 1940. None of the authorities cared how a family of nine would manage without an income. As these changes were happening, daily life remained relatively normal, and I continued going to school. 
All my schooling took place in Jewish parochial schools, and I had only Jewish friends right through my school years, except for the non-Jewish neighborhood children I played with. In grade one, we had started learning two languages, Hebrew and German. I participated in school plays I really enjoyed, and once I even sang a solo. There were four years of elementary school and two years of middle school, Polgari. During my time in Polgari, I would attend a service for students in the beautiful synagogue on Dayak Ferenc Utsa on Saturday mornings. The Orthodox synagogue didn't have such activities for girls, but my religious father was just glad I was attending Jewish activities. Services there were conducted by the young rabbi of Debrecen, Paul Weiss, and some older students. The girls would sit upstairs in the women's balcony, and the boys were downstairs. Ah, the melodies. The singing of the prayers stays with me till today. The music alone felt like a prayer. Those were the days when I still believed in prayer. After the services were through, all the students would go for a leisurely walk on the grounds of the Dairy Museum, where there were beautiful gardens. This is where we tried to flirt with the boys, and vice versa. The boys would walk in one direction, and the girls walk in the opposite direction, so we could accidentally meet. That was real fun. By the time I reached high school age at 15, most Jewish students in Hungary were not allowed to enter the local Catholic or Protestant high schools anymore. My sister Clary had attended a Catholic high school that had a very high academic standard and was able to finish her last year there in spite of decrees. Amy went to a commercial high school where she learned dressmaking along with academic subjects. But I was no longer allowed to go to a local school and there was no Jewish high school for girls in Debrecen, which was typical of Orthodox communities in that era. The Jewish leadership had no choice but to make the boys' high school a co-educational one. So that's where I went to school for one unfinished year. My father's business had already been closed down for a few years at this point, and our savings were low. The government had stopped supporting Jewish high schools, and the Jewish community was not rich enough to provide free tuition. My father told me that if I paid half my tuition fee, he would pay the other half. So I found a job tutoring middle school children and would go to their homes after school to help them with their schoolwork. My high school classroom was crowded with 60 students, but the ratio of girls to boys was great, 15 to 45. Needless to say, the girls were very popular, but during recess we were separated from the boys. Heaven forbid we should mingle with the boys during school hours. Still, 
we had unexpected youthful fun. While I was experiencing the dramas and joys of youth, dark clouds were gathering. In November 1940, the Hungarian government had entered the Axis Alliance and Hungary became not only an ideological, but also a political and military ally with Nazi Germany. Many Jewish men were forced into labor battalions, and so, while we still attended school, and maybe had some fun too, our Jewish community was deprived of almost all its husbands, fathers, brothers, and sons, all able-bodied men who were drafted and taken away. 50,000 Jewish forced laborers were sent to the Eastern Front into Soviet Ukraine with the Hungarian Second Army in 1942, and fewer than 10,000 would return. The Jewish servicemen were assigned the most dangerous work, such as clearing minefields ahead of the advancing army, and they were often treated cruelly by their Hungarian officers and guards, especially during the Hungarian army's retreat in the winter of 1943. I think the words of the Hungarian memoirist George Belfield in his 1943 diary portray something of the experience my brothers, cousins, and thousands of other Hungarian Jewish men must have had. The wind was blowing icicles into our eyes. Our breath got frozen to the fabric we used to cover our faces. One's legs were in great pain dragging the body. Anyone who got exhausted and sat down for a minute would inevitably freeze to death. That applied equally to men and horses. They lay there next to each other frozen to death, a soldier, a horse, and a Jew. From the time the men were taken from Debrecen, I recall some old men, but mainly women and girls, shouldering all the daily tasks, caring for children, running businesses, earning a living in cottage industries, attending the sick and poor in the community. In my home, it was mainly my mother and Bershke who took care of the family and business, facing heartbreaking worries coupled with real physical hardships. My poor father, no longer able to provide for his family, became demoralized. His cherished sons, Jeno and Miklos, had been sent far away, exposed to deadly dangers, as the scarce reports informed us. But Bershke was there like the Rock of Gibraltar. She had returned from Palestine as a politically mature, seasoned Hashomer Hatzair socialist and understood a lot more about the political situation in Europe than the others in my family. My father, in denial about the political realities, relied more and more on her, sometimes begging, bring me some good news, even if it is a lie. Bershke also returned from Palestine with a good grasp of English and Hebrew, 
and so she became a private English teacher to many students and made a handsome living. She also attempted to teach us younger siblings tirelessly, trying to convince us how important it was to know a language besides Hungarian. Useless beyond Hungary's borders, she often said. But we didn't take her seriously. Hmm. To our regret many years later, but who knew that then? I think it was in 1942 or 1943 when my mother encouraged Bershke to escape Hungary by applying for domestic positions in Britain. Because she spoke English well, she had a good chance of being hired as cheap labor in the United Kingdom. Her passport and photo were ready, and there was even an employer waiting for her when the borders were closed and the opportunity to be free was lost. Amy, who was very bright but not scholastically inclined, had golden fingers, and after high school she apprenticed in an haute couture dress salon at my mother's insistence. Idle hands were not permitted in our home. Amy was talented and had a creative mind, and she learned to sew with the messianic zeal that became a blessed survival tool. In some ways, sewing saved her life. Amy was just like my mother in so many respects. I never saw either of them idle. In 1944, Clary, 22 years old, beautiful and vivacious, but prone to melancholy, was the victim of anti-Jewish policies that had started in 1920 as the numerous clauses law, which were followed in 1938 by more restrictive laws excluding Jewish students from universities. Lotzi was affected by these policies as well, and so they took the only option that was left and started working. Lotzi worked as an electrician's apprentice, and Clary as a bookkeeper in the import-export business of her best friend Elizabeth Neumann's father. However, she was very anxious to leave because of the rumored fate of beautiful girls being sexually abused in Nazi-occupied European countries and by soldiers on the front. There was a rumor that somebody met a young woman in Budapest whose arm was tattooed with Nur für deutsche Soldaten, only for German soldiers. In my post-retirement years, as I did research on the conditions of women during the Holocaust, I discovered that there were brothels established for German soldiers on the front and in some concentration camps as an incentive for the slave laborers to be more productive. Clary badly wanted to go to Budapest, where she thought she could melt into a larger non-Jewish society and it would be safer for her. She had a plan to study nursing under the tutelage of a cousin. My father sabotaged that plan because of his rigid religious principles, but Clary was still determined to leave. She managed to obtain Aryan identity papers from a friend from her Catholic high school 
and she left town to hide in full view as a Christian in Budapest, where she hoped no one would recognize her. It was during my one unfinished year of high school in 1943-1944 that the political situation became more unpredictable. These were worrisome, turbulent times, and it was difficult for me to concentrate on our studies. Those who had transistor radios turned them on to listen to the news, including our teachers. We also learned the frightening news from the Slovakian and Jewish refugees entering Hungary, including our own relatives Irenka, Livia, and Pista, the cousins from Eperjes, Hungary, which was now Preshov, Slovakia, who used to visit us long ago on those good old peaceful summer days. Now, Livia's red hair had to be dyed black so that our Christian neighbors wouldn't recognize her and betray her to the authorities. They, too, found refuge in the attics of our scrap metal sheds. This was a time when we, the young, were worried, and yet we were still teenagers and wanted to have fun. Some of us, Agi Loshonsi and her sister Anna, Zhuzhi, Kalmanzi and her brother Peter, plus a few others, went on picnics in the Grand Forest just outside of Debrecen, enjoying ice cream and lots of laughter. We were very alive and very foolish with our pretense of normalcy. Yet, we had to grow up fast, too. At home, we constantly heard the adults' harsh, worried conversations. We were all sworn to strict secrecy about our German telephone and shortwave radio, which was hidden in the cellar. We would listen to the British Broadcasting Corporation's Hungarian news report daily, waiting to hear news from a real source, not from the Hungarian state radio broadcast, which just made pronouncements of victories. Later on, when things were much worse, I would hear the echo of my mother's often repeated plea, Gott im Himmel, God in heaven, what next? The unanswered question to her Almighty. What else will we have to endure? For some reason, we continued to have naive hope that the war would end soon and we Jews in Hungary would escape the horrors the rest of Europe was experiencing. Ah, but our hopes were soon dashed. Not a word was said about the concentration death camps, even though we now know that the Allied governments, to some extent, knew about them by then.